0: Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm Jamie Bogner. This is episode 222. It's got some sort of numerical significance because we've hit this number. Joining me on the podcast today is Todd DiMatteo of Good Word Brewing and Public House down in Duluth, Georgia. Welcome to the podcast, Todd.
1: Thank you, Jamie. I'm uh, super excited to be here. I hardly slept last night.
0: Oh man, oh man! <laughs> I, I am riding a high. I, I solved Wordle in two this morning, and so uh, yes. you know I'm just feeling good about things. I'm feeling good about life. Um, you started sending us some beer. Our judges have uh, you know uh, have really enjoyed the or had a great experience with it. Last issue that we did, you guys just absolutely crushed it with uh, you know scores of 90 92 95 all on english style small beers 4% and below um, You've got a crazy story. You didn't intend to be in this brewing life, uh, making the beer at Good Word. Things happened, and now you're doing it. um, Clearly, you've applied yourself with a kind of rigor and an intention that uh, is producing some fantastic results, making some beers that even our critics have loved tasting. I know uh, in our Best in Beer issue last year Good word showed up on critics' lists, both from Kate Bernard and from Alex Kidd. Uh, Different beers. Kate had a Pilsner on hers. Uh, It was a dark check lager that Alex uh, name-checked. I'm sure if if folks follow Don't Drink Beer, he he wrote a very extensive review of that on his own uh, uh, social media and blog channels. Um, Doing some cool stuff. Getting out there. Uh, can't wait to talk to you about how you brew, especially how you brew these small beers across all sorts of different styles. You do a festival, also little beers, focusing on those things, kind of celebrating these small beers. We're going to talk about brewing those small beers, but before we do, what if you could chill your beer with a more efficient chiller? The answer, G&D Chillers' new micro-channel condensers. G&D's micro-channel condensers are highly efficient in hotter regions, use a fraction of the refrigerant. Over traditional chillers, which provides less opportunity for leaks along with lower global warming potential. GD Chillers engineers are committed to green technology design while developing a more energy efficient chiller for the brewing industry. Contact GD Chillers today at gdchillers.com. Also, Support for this episode comes from BSG and Fermentis, the obvious choice for beverage fermentation. SoftBrew LD20 is a new all-in-one Saccharomyces pastorianus yeast and enzyme blend designed to produce lower-carb, dry lager beers. Safbrew LD20 is capable of high attenuation at low temperatures, making it the perfect choice for clean lagers with very low residual sugars. To harness the power of Safbrew LD20, or to learn more about fermentus range of fermentation solutions, get in touch with BSG at go.bsgcraft.com slash contact dash us. Todd, talk to me about this uh, brewing history for you. You are a home brewer, you worked for a prominent beer bar, you know, have this uh, longstanding love of craft beer, but you never intended to be a brewer. And here you are. Um Let's talk a little bit about uh, that strange path that you took to get to this position.
1: Yeah, for sure, it's definitely a strange path. Um, I started Brickstore Pub in uh, 2005, and before that, I was living in Asheville, North Carolina, <clears throat> which the scene was like nowhere near where it is now. I mean, I remember having Highland. Um, I used to drive a motorcycle, and I'd have a backpack. I'd go get like a bomber of Highland and throw it in the back and head home after work, and so. When I moved to back to Atlanta and started at a brick store, you know, I thought that like, you know, it ended with like a crap beer with Guinness and four twenty and Highland, which those are all fantastic beers, but my mind was definitely blown and I fell in love with Belgian uh beers and you know, quickly moved towards uh IPAs and uh yeah, did a whole super bitter. We actually just re released a a modern West Coast IPA today. Hear a good word, but um but yeah, I didn't start homebrewing right away. You know, it was, I want to say it was like 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. Um, I knew I wanted to do something else. I loved being part of Brickstore and it's amazing. And uh, But I wanted to have my own thing and put a stamp on it. Uh, and, you know, I was a musician at the time, too. So I always have, you know, had a need for like a creative outlet. And uh, yeah, once I started homebrewing, I remember the first time I, I homebrewed, I convinced these guys who had been, Uh, homebrewing for a while to come over and help me. So I had all these bottles and, you know, I was like, all right, we're going to crack open all these bottles. It's going to be fucking fun. It's going to be a blast or whatever. And we got so drunk. I learned like nothing. All I learned was like (laughs) not to be afraid to fuck up some beer. And so that was my first foray into homebrewing. And then I just kind of caught the bug. And so you
0: got to follow the rules now. Don't, don't drink until you've, uh, you
1: know, until you've knocked out. Yeah. Yeah. I never, Never do now, unless I'm you know doing a collab and I'm on there. sure, uh, sure. I'll crack one open. But anyway, yeah, I was working full time there and I was brewing, you know, when I'd get off of a you know, day shift until like one or two in the morning. So I would do three or four brews a week. And so quickly turned into like, instead of doing what may be just another iteration of a craft beer bar, uh, my business partner, Ryan Skinner, and I decided that we wanted to open our own uh, brew pub. And so yeah the, Br- the brick Store guys are our business partners and um you know so they've helped facilitate this thing we actually ended up like you said earlier in duluth georgia meanwhile I, me and my family lived less than a mile from Brixor for years and years and convincing myself and my wife to leave the perimeter and come out to the burbs was definitely a long process but you know after finding the right you know area and I do feel like Duluth was the right area because the city has been, you know, pivotal in our success and the community as well was absolutely the right choice. So if you fly into Atlanta, there's amazing breweries, you know, in town. So if you want to come to Good Word, you're definitely driving at least 45 minutes away, which is, you know, it's kind of it's kind of a bummer. Um, but also I feel like, you know, when you get here, you see why you came because what we're doing is unique and special and all that sort of stuff.
0: So you started the the brewery and your intention was not to
1: brew the beer. Not at all. Yeah. We, we actually hired this, uh, young guy from uh, Canada who was great. You know, we hired him a few months before we opened and my role at that point, like I was like, I wanted to, you know, help produce recipes and do, you know, uh, going to retailers and doing like kind of, you know, visitations and that kind of stuff. And I was going to back up Ryan, my business partner mentioned earlier, uh, with front of the house. So I was going to play kind of a middle role just to kind of keep myself, excited about you know all of it um so anyway about two and a half months into us being open uh our brewer is from canada uh his visa was running out that's what he was telling us and so it was getting close to the six month mark but anyway he was like you know i need to go home and figure out this visa i'm worried about losing my uh health insurance through canada whatever and uh i'm like okay it sounds kind of odd i was like we have this brew coming up for allagash day why don't you do this sit in with me on the brew and kind of, you know, make sure I don't fuck anything up. And then, you know, then I'll be fine. You know, be okay. You know, at least I'll have some sort of like know-how cause we don't know when he's going to come back to if he leaves. So he's like, sure, I'll do that. And he was supposed to leave like on Tuesday and he chose an earlier flight. And so I'm like, Holy shit. And we had not a falling out, but I was pretty pissed. I'm like, dude, you know, you kind of put me in a bad position. So for the brew day, I'm watching, first off, I pushed it as far back as I could until I knew, like, I couldn't make the date for Allagash Day, and so, um, I was watching YouTube videos, I'm calling, like, Yoron, and, uh, Tim, uh, some other brewers I know here in Georgia, like, trying to get halfway crooks. Like yeah, yeah, and so, this is before, he was still at, um, three times, I think he was still at three times at the time. Right, right. But yeah, he's from Halfway Crooks, but, um, anyway, uh, yeah, so finally I said, fuck it, and milled the beer in started at like 7am and i'd never cleaned a tank never CIP'd a tank never you know our our uh brew house is a 10 barrel three vessel system and it's uh you know has a little small you know decent automation package but you know you look at it it's like there's a lot going on if you don't know what the fuck you're doing and so i started around seven or so and it finished around two that night and i was like well i guess worst case scenario is i'll dump this beer uh Anyway, it did turn out and the, the beer. I called it uh, man in motion, which is like a three and a half percent table beer. Definitely the lowest on uh, untapped as far as the ratings go. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was kind of like that first day, you know, I had those guys coming home homebrew. I'm like, all right, well, it wasn't that bad. I might not have did it well because we were drinking on that day. So, the uh, you know, the long brew day, I know I can at least produce beer. And so I'd put an ad on Pro Brewer looking for uh, um, another brewer. Had a lot of the same folks who reached out when we first hired our brewer um, reply again. And so I'm like, all right, well, if these same folks are reaching back out, you know, I might just hold off. And so basically what I did is just slowed everything down as much as I could and learned as much as I could with reading, watching videos and and all of that. Uh, But telling my business partners that like, hey, I'm going to be the brewer and I'm going to help run front of the house was like, crazy because they never saw me in a capacity nor did I see myself in that capacity while secretly wanting to for sure I was like yeah I would love to be the one making the beer I feel like being the person who create creates the beer it makes the story it's a better story you know what I mean like you know being a part of brewery is great and all the jobs are very important but like being the one who like produces the liquid was very important to me I guess that comes from being a musician and a songwriter so it's like I wrote the song I'm singing the song whether my voice is that good or not Um, but anyway, after, you know, three months of like, you know, brew day taking a long time and like trying not to hurt myself. I kind of got the hang of it. And after about six months, like, all right, I'm going to have fun with this. And I I literally just was like, I'm going to be as committed as I possibly can and read as much as I can about this. And, and I did, I just like, I've read a, a ton of stuff and, you know, it's definitely made me a better brewer, but of course I've made mistakes and you know, we've, we let beer go down the drain, but uh, not much.
0: <laughs> it's fascinating to see that. I mean, that's a, it's such an atypical way of getting into this, you know. But also speaks to the way that every small business develops that the way you think things are going to go as you plan it isn't necessarily the way things are going to go and uh, being able to adapt and find the right roles that people need to be in is incredibly important on that um the thing that i'm r- that really takes me back though is is i you could expect to make okay beer yeah. beer that's passable sure. um but you don't make beer that's just passable you make really Great beer and beer that uh, you know everyone who is tasting it responds to. In this, uh, you know, it's finding a way in, you know, to to people's hearts. Um, How how'd you go from figuring out how to brew beer to getting better at brewing beer to figuring out how to make great beer?
1: Um, that's a great question. I mean, so in my mind, I've always modeled uh, what we would offer um, draft wise, uh, after Brickstore because, you know, it's the quintessential and yes, it's a beer bar, but I really don't like that. Um, it's a pub, it's a pub with like world-class beer. And so it literally has something for, you know, your super craft beer enthusiast who's just gotten into it and they like hazy beer and, you know, that sort of stuff. And then you, it, it has stuff for, you know, the guy who's a veteran beer drinker and just knows quality and they're going to drink, you know, fine Belgian beer or world-class lager or whatever it is. And so then you got the uncle and you got the, the aunts and, and everybody in between who like just make up this great demographic and they try to hit all of those things. And I was like, good word is going to hit all of those things. We're going to have something for everyone. And so as far as making really good beer, I just, or how the beer went from okay to how it, how it is now is process and patience and a lot of reading And, uh, you know, never like satisfied with, with, um, you know, where we are. I'm like, how can we make this better? And nothing, (laughs) I've never made any beer where I'm like, how can I do this simpler? It's literally the opposite of that. And it's not like, how do I make this just a story for an Instagram post or something like that? Like, that's not the intention. It's, it's like, what's going to make the absolute best, um, beer. And I remember I was, I listened to, um, one of your, uh, podcasts with Kevin I think it was on this on Cbnb I'm pretty sure it was, but he had said something about like, it's not one thing that makes a brewery great. It's like doing this thing and doing that thing and doing that thing. And so like for us, it became like what really is differentiating brewery a from all the rest of these breweries and like, all right, I'm going to figure out why that matters and try to adapt our beer. And we're going to continue to grow. And we've, we've step matched beer since the beginning and we've, uh, naturally carbonated beer. Um, we actually carbonate beer pretty much like 65 to 70% of the way. And then we finish off with, um, CO2. But, uh, then we started doing decoctions and that came from a podcast we were on with uh, John Hall and uh, Chris from green bench. And he was like, well, you should try this. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, I thought about doing it like that, but I was just a little nervous. Like everything, the first time you do it's like kind of nerve wracking and you do like, you know what? It's not that fucking bad. It does make for a longer day, but for me, having that person go like, man, this is really fucking great is like, it's very satisfying. It's like writing a song and somebody like, man, this is really a nice song.
0: As I look back at that history, I'm wondering just how much of that experience tasting and serving beer through brick store and, you know, building up that kind of long flavor knowledge has impacted even your expectations. For your own beer, I mean, it's certainly something that I see in brewers that we would consider great. That everyone has an amazing palate, also has a, um, a knowledge of beer, and th- you know that kind of scope of of flavor. The people that I think make some of the most interesting beer can also kind of encyclopedically, you know, run through where everyone else's beers are in that similar kind of category, and and use that kind of knowledge of flavor and the way that different beers express and the choices that other brewers have made to kind of feed into their own choices. You know, do you see that in your own work? Um, you know, how, how much is that kind of, you know, background uh, um, and experience drinking lots of great beer and serving lots of great beer kind of impacted your approach to brewing?
1: It's huge. I mean, it's a very big part of all that, um, without a doubt. Another big piece of that, too, and I'll give credit to my business partner, Ryan Skinner. He was the beer manager uh, at Bricksore before he left uh, and to join. Uh, good word as an owner. Um, but he's a uh, you know, certified Cicerone and a BJCP judge. So, like, we're hypercritical of our beer. We're not just like, God damn, that's good. Like, that's not something, you know, he's very uh, pragmatic. And I'm really hard on myself uh, when we drink something. So, if, if he tries something, he's like... That's fucking good. Then I'm like, this is probably gonna be amazing. You know what I mean? Like, because he's more, he's as harsh as I am on our beer. Um, but yeah, I think that that's helped me get better. I mean, like, you know, being critical and not just back patting. We don't do a whole lot of that, you know. Um, so yeah, it's really just all about the work. But yeah, being around world class beer from the age of like 25 or 26, you know, in 2005 to now yeah it makes it really hard and daunting to do like all right we're gonna make a belgian quad and so we made a belgian quad you know it was like well this is good and i didn't brew it again for like two years and then uh the last time i brewed it i will say that the carbonation level is like a little low on it to be honest with you flavor wise it's really good but we like we set it out with all of these you know rochefort and saint bernardus um chimay uh reserve and we had like seven or eight beers we grabbed from brick store and we blinded ourselves on our beer and it was just too easy to pick our beer out because uh, you know it's not bottle conditioned and I'm like fuck we got a fucking bottle condition this beer like this is never going to be as good as we want it to be it's never going to to these other beers so we won't brew that beer again until we can bottle condition it and if somebody is listening to this and they have a bottle at the house it's good <laughs> it's just <laughs> not great <laughs> that's
0: the creative curse right that um it's hard to be happy with what you do if you're, and you know. And I do the same thing. I see every flaw, every yeah. small flaw, every typo that somehow makes it through all of our editing process. But that's how you make you know, how you can you know, keep trying to push. To be better, to improve what you do, and not make those same kinds of uh, you know small mistakes that, that throw things off, or even just you know not realize that full kind of creative potential. It's yeah, I think it's a challenge that all of us go through whether we're talking about brewing or, or any other creative work we do. I want to talk about um, brewing small beers in particular because that is something that you have focused on and, and again and built a whole festival around it, but really done well in that kind of in that good word context before we do that supply chain challenges are here to stay for a while so why not trust the experts to handle freight for your ingredients old orchard is partnered with a leading logistics firm in the craft beverage industry to transport your craft concentrate blends when you order two pails or more of concentrate from old orchard you qualify for freight quotes from various carriers and can stay up to date on the status of your shipment to get started on a freight quote for craft concentrate traits today, head all over to oldorchard.com brewer. Also, Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation is the first real-time comprehensive fermentation monitoring solution. It works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real-time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Brew Monitor provides detailed insight into your fermentations that helps improve beer consistency, reduce tank time, and increase overall efficiency, saving your brewery time and money. Get started for 30 days risk free visit precision slash brewing so yeah Todd, let's talk about small beers um what are uh, some of these courses? And, and what I find interesting is you brew little beers. And when I say I'm talking four and a half percent and lower, and you brew them across a whole bunch of different styles. You brew Czech style lagers. You brew German style lagers. You brew English style ales. You know you are you are really uh, you know play in this small beer space. Which as a brew pub that also serves food and wants to be that gathering place for people makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, but from your perspective, uh, you know, talk to me about how you kind of uh, creatively uh, envision this kind of small beer program and then and how you choose beers and styles, you know, to uh, to go through and brew.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So, yeah, being a brew pub definitely has a big, you know, it's a big reason we do that. But it's also like my my age, you know, I, I think I told you before the show, I just turned 42 in December and like, you know, I definitely will crack open a big beer every now and then and, and sip it. But it's like what I really want out of a beer now. And I think that more and more people are wanting out of beers is, is balance. And so before I ever, you know, decide what the ingredients are going to be, it's like, what kind of beer is this? What, what how can I balance it? Whether it's hops or the malt character or any that kind of stuff. We actually made um, a petite IPA, too, which is a bullshit term, of course, uh, our style but it was a 3.6% um, like a little hazy IPA and it was very well attenuated and it was fucking delicious. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we didn't go crazy with the dry hopping. I think it was like two to two and a half pounds per barrel, something like that. This was we did with uh, bird's fly south. But, um, and as a local beer, we didn't even call it a locale beer. We just said, I think on the description for the menu, I did call it locale, but not, not like uh, on the can, like that kind of stuff. But I want to make this a whole series now. It's like, listen, flavor doesn't have to happen at fucking 7%. And it doesn't – Haze isn't a fucking flavor. Like, flavor is a flavor. Like, malt (laughs) and and a balance of hops. Like, I don't want to just taste this fucking wash of uh, softness and sweetness and uh, hops. Those beers are fine, of course, and we make those as well. But, yeah, as far as – I'm just, like, looking up here. We have this marquee with all our – our most of our beers. And uh, we have – three, we have three beers that are above uh, 6% right now. Um, and I really just think it's it's all about what I want as a consumer. Like, you know, it just happens to be I'm the brewer, but I'm brewing beer that I want to drink. And, uh, you know, there's, like I said, there's a handful of beers up there. We have a beer that's based off of a popular ice cream and it's 11%. Um, and it's fine. You know, there's people out there who uh, love those kind of beers and there's nothing wrong with that. But for the 70% of what we make, maybe more, is stuff that I would sit down and I would drink, you know, day in and day out. And that's what I want is like repeatability of a drinker. I don't want to just be this like, I'm constantly lighting a match, like just seeing how quickly it burns. I want to, I want to have, you know, I hate to use the term core beers because it seems like craft beer is dead in that way. Um, but I want to have beers that we're constantly perfecting and uh, they're getting better and, You know, and I want to come back to them and keep drinking them.
0: Let's talk about it creatively. You know, because again, you you play with a variety of uh, you know of styles. and, and yes, petite IPA might be a bullshit term, but aren't aren't they all at some like yeah yeah, every, yeah, yeah. everything's a bullshit term until other people start making it and then it becomes something real, um, and the only difference yeah. is enough other people adopt it and start doing it and then the things that are bullshit become real. Uh, sure, that's it's yeah. the, the way that every beer style is. All of these, all of these were once a figment of a beer marketer's imagination until they became a thing. Nonetheless, um. You know, in in terms of, uh, you know, seeking inspiration from other brewing traditions, talk to me about how you, uh, you know, say, for example, um, you, you know, pull inspiration for small English beers like mild, bitter, you know, English porter and whatnot. Yeah. Where do uh, where you go into, you know, to uh, to pull first the brewing ideas and then, uh, you know, talk to me about that process of iteration you know, and developing and improving on those things?
1: When we first opened we were we had i was like i want to make you know an english style bitter and i want to make uh a mild and we ended up making a porter around the same well, a little while later but anyway these were all like named after ninja turtles but it came from like you know well, what does that look like i have a recollection from my time at Brickstores. what fuller's is like you know one of the greatest and you know i had a handful of milds um but anyway <laughs> It may have been like a year and a half ago now, maybe a little longer. I was like, I'm not brewing those beers anymore until I research and learn more about these styles. And the staff was like, you're not going to brew Rocksteady and Bebop anymore. What the fuck? They were like, Matt, it, it sounds funny. That's how popular these beers were amongst our regulars and our staff. And so yeah. I remember sitting down and like, you know, I'm going to finish these books before we reapproach these beers. And so I started brewing uh, Analog Life and Digital Comforts. And uh, quantum immortality. After reading these books and just doing deep dives into research, I mean,
0: what what books were you reading?
1: Like Mildell was uh, one of the books that um, that basically I was like, I'm not until I finish this. We're not brewing any more of this hmm. stuff. And then I was also I I found some uh, videos. I think it was Mitch Steele or someone was um, talking about Chevalier, the crisp grain, which was like at one point for 60 years, the most popular, um, two row. And then Chris took it back from like, you know, seed and recultivated this. And I'm like, that sounds super interesting. So anything that I can find that makes a story and, and I can latch onto the story, uh, to, you know, get the creative juices going as it will. Um, yeah, I'm looking for, and still the same thing with like, you know, all these check styles, like we started doing, uh, Checks out beers as a collab with Blue Jacket and like you said that, that beer got some love from um, Alice Kidd which is great but I'm like do we know enough about checks out beers we just brewed a check ten Play-Doh so I'm constantly like trying to push myself to learn more and I'm like what I really need to do is get on a fucking plane and go to uh, Chechia, you know and fucking see it firsthand um, so yeah it's just all about seeking out any information or, or even talking to brewers who I like look up to you know sure um, Lisa Allen and uh, you know, doing, we did a beer with her.
0: That's right. Coastline uh, pills, right?
1: Coastline pills. Yeah. Um, But like seeing what her process is through a collaboration and then, you know, creating a, and actually before we even brewed the beer, we'd sent her beer a couple of times. Um, I was brewing a smoke beer for the first time and I'm like, all right, who are the like three or four smartest brewers I know are kind of know. And I'd only met her via email and I'm like, what would the percentage be of smoke malt if you're going for this? And she gave me two different ranges of what they do for some of their beers. And I'm trying to think of who else I reached out to, but like, Oh, it was, um, Mike, uh, Karnassi from Zebulon. Sure. And he makes uh, fantastic beers as well. And, uh, I'm like, all right. So based on what these people are telling me, this is what I'm, I'm going to try for the first time. Cause again, dipping your toe in the water for the first time you're always are. I've always been a little scared. It's like, Oh God, how cold is the water? Then you realize, hey, man, the water's warm. It's fine. And so since then, we've done uh, three smoke beers, and I want to do more. The thing is, with smoke beers, they're a little bit slower of a mover for us. But I um, also found that like the smoke malt isn't quite linear. You don't just go – temper... we did a little less than 10% uh, on a Hellas. We did a collab with um, Schilling, and it was like the faintest kiss of smoke. We wanted it to be subtle, but it was like almost a little too subtle. So – 27% or a little over 27% in a, uh, smoke Martin was like, holy shit. It was like in your face. And then we did a hundred percent, uh, uh, Beachwood smoked, um, wheat and, a uh, people Grzinski. And it was very subtle. So it's funny how smoke interplays, but like, you know, having a collection of people that you like, look, uh, look up to. And uh, respect has been honestly a huge part of my, I guess, quick, you know in four or five years as a professional brewer uh climb and you know i'm never too proud to be like hey how the fuck do you do this or what's your process with this i mean i was talking with um i think it was humble c or threes we we're talking about biofine because like we're so small we don't have you know i don't have horizontal tanks and i don't have a centrifuge or anything like this i'm like do you guys use this and they're like no we don't we fuck it it fucks with head retention and i'm like I bet these guys are fucking right. So, you know, there's a lot of that. um, Just listening to your peers that you respect, you know, um, has helped me grow.
0: Sure, sure. Um, back on that subject of small English beers, what would you say are the were the biggest changes that happened as you dove into research from the prior iterations to the beers that you started making? Yeah, you, know, you mentioned Chevalier. Uh, you know, barley is is one of those things to make a build a connection to you. But what were some of the other um, you know recipe elements, technique, process changes that you made along the way that you found improved those beers that got them closer to what you know what you had in your mind or what you envisioned
1: well I mean as I was reading um, I realized that like uh, what we had previously brewed as like an ESB was fine but it felt like a little clumsy as far as the recipe goes Um, so I basically just cleaned it up it's only three months um, compared to what it was for our digital conference that is but also I got more tuned into like how do those you know, pale uh, English beers like break down. And so at first I was like, well, cool. I'm going to fall in this range of like an ordinary bitter. And uh, what's funny is I brewed it. And it was like, instead of being 3.8, it was like 3.9%. And I'm like, well, that's the best bitter now. And so every time I brewed it, it's always in 3.9. So we just said, fuck, it's the best bitter. But that like leads me to think about something that um, I think Jeff Allworth and Stan Aronimus were saying about calling it like a, you know, this pub ale term. And it's kind of a worry that I have, not to kind of divert the uh, conversation, but kind of a worry I have with like people who aren't doing research or don't know styles, haven't been to England or whatever, are brewing things and they could confuse the public about what this is and just calling it a Pauvel or, or whatever the moniker could be. It's like, you know, it needs to be as close a representation in my, I guess it's my opinion. It should be as close a representation of what the style is. So people know what they're looking for when they go, like what, what is an ESP? What is a best bidder? What is a dark mild? What is this? Because all I have is brewery X who, you know, put it out and they dropped it with some New Zealand hops or some shit. It's like, don't want that to happen to these classic styles. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, we joked about like fruited lagers maybe a year ago. And it's like, uh, please, please, God. But I think that that's probably happening. But anyway,
0: it is it is happening. We've received them. Um, I haven't tasted one that's been great yet, but uh, yeah. but we but people have been sending them to us. Um, you know, you know. There's, uh, I, I would say, uh, you know, from my perspective, there's no axiomatic reason not to do something. But if you can't make a good beer that way, then why do it that way? Um, yeah. But I get you. You know where you're coming from on this. If you're going to make call it something. Keep it within that expectation, um, especially when that expectation is built by a tradition that's not necessarily yours. Um, yeah, you know. Having said that, I, you know the kind of creativity of craft brewers knows no bounds, and it is also interesting to see how people you know push things. And there are certainly spheres uh, in which are more interesting to to push those things. Um, it's kind of you get into the American beer styles like Hazy IPA now, although you know, and uh, all bets are off. You can just make it whatever, whatever the hell you want. Um, yeah. That also fits something we've been trying to talk about, which is uh, moving the conversation around fruited sour beer from the Goza Berliner uh, nomenclature into just embracing this idea of American fruited sour beer so that those beers can just become what they are and what they should be rather than tied to a term like Berliner, which, you know, there was never a Berliner that looked like a fruit smoothie puree um, and served that way. It's just, you know, those things can exist, and these things can be separate things, and it's good. And we don't need to call something something just because uh, you know it makes it sound more romantic or uh, has some connection to something that that isn't correct. So I get you, I get where you're coming from there, while at the same time trying to f- foster this idea of creativity. I'm going to get back to talking about brewing, but before we do that, from the rotatable pickup tubes on Rogue Brewing's Pilot Brewhouse to the integrated hop on Sierra Nevada's twin prototyping brewhouses, SS BrewTech has taken technology they invented working with world-renowned industry veterans and made them available to every craft brewer. To learn more about SS BrewTech's innovation list, head over to ssbrewtech.com. Also, have you heard of PBW tablets? Yep, that's right. The PBW powder you've known and trusted is now in tablet form from five-star chemicals available in two sizes. So you can use just one tablet and either 32 ounces or one gallon of water to optimize your cleaning. Forget measuring. Just add a tablet to water and quickly clean all stainless equipment, growlers, kettles, or carboys. Purchase on their website or your favorite homebrew supplier. So... Let's talk then a little bit about you know Czech and German style lagers. You mentioned talking to another American brewers and also trying to be respectful of where those traditions come from. And if you're going to make something, doing it that right way, um, you know what do those right ways entail for you?
1: I mean, if there's a style that I've never had before, I you know will try to source one that's from where it should be from instead of finding a craft brewer first. To be honest with you. And then I'm going to dive deep into the research. But, yeah, it doesn't come from like, all right, what's my way of doing this without having any knowledge of the style? So I want to do as much research about that style before I go into it. It's kind of like, well, before you play the lead, how do you play rhythm? You know what I mean? And so that's kind of how I, I look at all this. And and uh, um, the Czech Dark Lager that got a lot of love, I mean, that was a lot of Ro, you know, Ro had from uh, Blue Jacket. So funny, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, I look at him as like, you know, one of the smartest brewers I know. And so we sat down like, Hey, what do we want to make? Check doc lager, you know, we took it from there. Um,
0: as an aside for those that are all access subscribers to craft beer and brewing, we've got a class with Roe uh, available through our video learning platform. Um, shameless plug, but yes, right. Fantastic brewer knows yes. the stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, we made a uh, a Schwartz beer back in 2019, and that was something that I've never had a Schwarzbier before. I'll be honest with you. And um, we put it in Crowlers before we had a candy line, and I mailed it to Pace Magazine, and you know it ended up getting number one in the country for a blind taste uh, panel. What, what's cool about that though is I befriended San Hermus. I met him at Shelton Brothers Fest we were pouring, and he'd already been here once or twice. And uh, when I'm trying him on that beer, he's like. You may have won for best uh German Dark Lager, but you wouldn't have won for uh Schwartz beer because it's too roasty. So keeping people like Stan uh and my partner uh, Ryan Skinner um around me keeps me like in check, you know. So yeah. It was Once funny you think you-
0: Yeah, it was funny when Stan was here and with K. Bernard and we were doing our best in beer tasting last year. I mentioned to him that uh, Alex had had that beer uh from you on his critics list and Stan's like, Huh? Eh. That's that's not the best lager that Todd makes, but but that's okay. You
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He's always that way. Um, Stan's
0: honest he, shade is the best thing in the world. I, I absolutely love it.
1: Yeah. So when we uh, submitted beers for JBF, uh, I had Stan come up and kind of taste through everything. And yeah, he's a no frills kind of no bullshit guy, and I respect that. Like you know, surrounding yourself with people who are just going to like you know build you up is you know, maybe good for the ego, but it doesn't make you better. And again, that's not coming from somebody who's just like constantly knocking you down. I, I firmly believe surround yourself with great people. Um, but critical with good intentions is my favorite kind of people for sure. But yeah, well, it's helping me be better. Yeah.
0: Um, let's again talk. I wanna, I'm curious about some of those things. How have some of that feedback impacted? I, I mean, I want to. You know, again, dive down into the things because making small beers in particular is hard. You know, it's harder than making a big, flavorful, higher yeah. ABV beer. There's less places to hide. You the the balance has to be much tighter. Um, you know that there's the precision that's required to make that beer well and make that beer compelling, even despite the size. Um, Talk to me about some of those ways in which you really do focus on elevating and just, I mean, making a beer that's that small stand out and be something that people want to keep drinking rather than just being the thing that fits the bill for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's about restraint, honestly. Like, you know, I don't want to, I'm not trying to blow your hair back with, you know, some shiny thing I'm trying to think about what what is going to make this the best instead of you know just being this complex like garbage thing and it comes down to like monitoring your ph making sure that um you know you're not over sparging to get you know too much uh, astringency for your mouth fill because astringency in small beer is huge um we made a beer called uh, lunar gravity with Stan, and we actually stopped collecting it on the second run it's because it had gotten so low in sugar so we're like all right we're going to call it there and, you know, doing small beers actually is what kind of propelled me into almost doing decoctions on all of these because, you know, you don't have to – you get a little more uh, uh, sugar with the deco- decoctions. And so I feel like just being careful, honestly, and not throwing something out of balance. And, and you know, every single thing, whether it's, um, you know, choosing the right yeast, the healthy yeast, or, you know, fermentation, or – all those things. It it all goes into play. Like I was saying before, you know, mentioning uh yeah, the other show it's it's checking all the boxes for that beer. And and we try to do that care with all of them. And I think about this a lot. Like whenever I'm creating an English beer, I think about what's going into the uh, the grist and the hops. And then brew day is like kinda of simple. You know, it's a single infusion step or whatever. And then you know you knock out at 64 degrees and you keep it between 64 and like 66 68 tops whereas with well, a lager usually especially if it's a pill lager very simple dress typically brew day is crazy you know you're doing uh multiple mashes and you're we now do two decoctions which is a real pain in the ass like <laughs> a single decoction is one thing but we have to we only have three vessels and so we have to pull it out by hand so we drop from the mason into uh, Home Depot buckets, like we have like eight of these on the floor, and then a 32 gallon um, trash can that we use just for uh, for this. And you know, it adds about two two plus hours to the day, and it's messy. It's not pretty. And you know, I never think about brewing as like this elegant, beautiful thing. Like maybe if I'm thinking about somebody like you know uh, John at Cantillon, I'm like oh, you know, he's like and a barrel sample and it's like this whimsical sort of thing and and i'm sure it's it's not but i feel like i'm wrestling the grain and, and fighting to make this thing it's like it's a it's a blue collar i'm fucking bruce springsteen uh, you know on, on, on this uh, and i'm not like some pavarotti or some shit so i wrestle it into where it needs to go uh but anyway it, it definitely gets easier to do the mo- the moves as i've uh, learned more um but it's exciting you know at brew day and especially when we're doing lagers especially when we're doing these um you know multi-step mashes and decoctions i, I love it you know i have an assistant brewer now and does a lot of cellar work His name's Clay. He's, he's amazing but you know you can tell that i'm excited you know the old man is like up on the spree stand and he's just having fun wrestling with shit around but i enjoy it <laughs>
0: Let's talk a little bit about ingredients. Obviously, uh, decoction building, especially in a small beer, building more body, more flavor out of uh, you know simple ingredients, yeah. can, is is a great trick in order to to make more from something small. Um, but good quality ingredients and selecting ingredients and being able to find flavors and then bring those flavors out of these kinds of ingredients is also. Uh, you know, a pretty important piece of it, given the, the Force, scale yeah. scale of these beers. Talk to me about your process in evaluating ingredients, um, hops, malt. You know, making yeast choices for for how you ferment. And actually, let's let's talk about yeast later because the fermentation is, is another big piece of all of this. Let's just talk about yeah. hops and uh, and malt for the time being. Um, and again, how you uh, you know taste through these things and make some of those creative decisions.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I feel like for. Um English beer, I mean, my you know favorite English malts are from Thomas Fawcett uh, for base malt. And I'm a huge fan of, of Brees. And, you know, so I use their specialty malts for, uh, <coughs> for a lot of our beers. Um, the only other malt outside of uh, Thomas Fawcett and Brees that I use uh, is for our porter. And that is, I use Crisp Chevalier, which is a grain I mentioned earlier. And I love, love it. And um crisp brown malt, which is pretty traditional for uh for porters. Yep. Um when it comes to um lagers, I mean I'm a environment person, like for sure. They're right. my favorite malt. I mean, on our little system, I get between like ninety and ninety two percent efficiency, like on a regular. So if I'm brewing a pale log, I'm like, all right, we gotta, you know, maybe dial it down or cut uh, I think everybody, all the brewers like whole bags so we're not having some partial bags sitting sure. in you know the grain grain room or whatever. But you know, I'm always like careful we're building like a little uh, pale pill lager. Um but I love Vireman. I actually just used um Epiphany malt for the first time and I liked that a lot. We did a collab with uh, our friends in Virginia. They're called Wheatland Spring. Yep. And we made a check 10 um uh, play beer and it was um their modern pills and their chip malt. And we did a double decoction on that as a 10.2 Play Doh uh, starting gravity beer, and it's uh, finished around 1010. Uh, it's a nice little 4% uh, beer. It's uh, got a little haste to it now. We, we put the spunding valve on, we put it on a little bit late. I'll be honest with you, I had COVID at the house, and I'm calling Clay. I'm like, he'd never put a spunding valve on for Simple, but I just want to make sure that he had it, you know, because we take them apart and all that kind of shit. But anyway, we put it on a little late, so it only got a tiny bit of carbonation. We're going to move that beer over uh, a little later today and start, um, you know, hopefully uh, having it clear up a lot better. Um, but anyway, so I like Epiphany, uh, a lot, but man, I, you know, Vyremen all day long. I, I'm a huge Vyremen uh, person. As far as hops go, you know, for English beer, I mean, you can't really go, go wrong with, uh, Goldings and Fuggles. And those are what are in my, uh, my English beers. We just recently made a, uh, an English, uh, Summer Ale. And I'll send you some of that. It's called a uh, Holographic Heart. It's a 4.2% beer and it's all EKG I kind of used a, a lot of it, you know, um, even though it's all boiled hops. But I think we use in a 10-barrel batch around, like, maybe 11 pounds, which is way more than I normally would. It's only got about 30 BUs, but, man, it is really nice. Funny thing is when we first brewed that beer, I'd been uh, harvesting yeast, and I, I uh, pulled it. And this was a fourth turn on this um, British yeast. And the, fucking, the first iteration dropped down to, like, 2.1 Plato. So it was, like, kind of dry. It was almost like a a quasi-fruity lager, honestly, because we ferment pretty cold. But uh, it was good, but like, I felt like it didn't quite have that balance. And I'm like, all right, we're gonna use fresh, a fresh pitch on this and it's gonna, you know, attenuate a little less. And so, you know, the second batch is finished at like 2.6 Play-Doh and it's like lights out. It's really, really nice. Um, But this round was all EKG. But, uh, and then for lager beer, you know, we do a handful of dry hops on uh, on loggers. Uh, we do one, um, it's called Any Day Now, and uh, that's one we've done for a while with uh, Blackberry Farm. That's done with a middle for a hop from um, Sites Family Farm. Oh, from
0: Sites, a, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. We go in on a, a, a big buy every year. We should be getting them hopefully the next like, four weeks or so, but with uh, Halfway Crooks and uh, Resident Culture and, and um, a couple other a couple other breweries, but, um, that's one of my favorite hops. Um, and one of my favorite places to get hops, we get hers, and a handful of other things from them. I am all about earthy, you know, um, herbal hops, you know, uh, I feel like a lot of, you know, bigger breweries will do, uh, will do like, um, you know, New Zealand or an Australian dry hop. and And I think what it is is sometimes they, they fear that maybe they're, Folks who are drinking their hazy beer may not, you know, they may have to see it with this kind of hop to get, you know, uh, accustomed to it. But I don't know. I feel like those hops are, they kind of throw the beer out of balance in my experience from trying them. I haven't done with those yet. I'm not saying it's not possible. Um, but yeah, I prefer to keep it, you know, noble or even an American uh, hop like Sterling, which is one of my favorites. It's actually what's in uh, our house lager, Die Tie Die. But um, yeah. And then for, you know, we'd make hazy beer, of course, too. And we do, um, you know, the typical New Zealand and Australian dry hops and, and all that. I'm actually get, trying to get away from these, like, crazy amounts of, like, four plus pounds of dry hopping. I want to get it, dial it back down because, you know, I've seen some oxidation on some of our, even some of our beers. Like, there's just too much hops in there. Hmm. Not to mention the the super low yield um, that you're getting from this stuff. And And it's like... It goes back to what i was saying before like i want to make beer that i want to drink and i want to make sure that i'm even if i'm not reaching for our hazy beer that it's what i find to be very drinkable so
0: yeah Uh, you know sometimes that we hear that statement a lot sometimes it's a cop out and sometimes and i shouldn't say i mean i think everyone has good intentions when they say that um sometimes what you want to drink isn't what people want to buy and somehow figuring out how to make a beer that is both what you want to drink and is also Compelling to people, and you and figuring out how to make that compelling, you know, to a consumer that's a particular challenge. Obviously, um, you know, maybe your standard for what you want to drink is just high enough and characterful enough that you keep pushing yourself to get to that point rather than just making a good beer, trying to make it even make it a great beer. Um, You've also found a way to tell an interesting story about these small beers by doing collaborations with other like-minded brewers, um, which is both a part of a learning process and and a, and a marketing approach and this kind of you know connective tissue, brewer to brewer that's helped to build relationships for you. It's interesting to see it working on multiple. Planes like that, Um, but also keeping it interesting because, you know, here's another small beer, but it's a collaboration and it's going to be here and then it's going to go, you know, and then it's on and on. So, you know, fascinating to watch that process be applied to these kinds of smaller beers. It's not just collaborative hazies or imperial stouts or whatnot um nonetheless let's talk about fermentation because that's something that we haven't talked about yet here you know yeast is super important especially in these small beers um let's talk about ale yeast first and then we can talk a little bit about lager fermentation you know doing it on this small scale and still getting great results what does your you know kind of english and ale fermentation uh, program look like
1: yeah so for um and actually i'm gonna answer uh, uh, or talk about something that you kind of touched on, and then answer that question. That's okay. Sure, sure. So we we did a beer with um, Wooden Robot and De La Seine and it was an English style beer. Um there's a dry hot ESB, and um, so we we're like talking through recipe via email. Obviously, Yvonne is not in this country, um, and so we we're chatting about that. And um, you know, we're all pretty much on the same page with the uh, the grist of the recipe and, and all that. And I'm like, well, you know let's use ESB yeast instead of my house, uh, London East. Um, and they were like, and, and one of them pushed like, no, no, just use the house stuff, it's fine. You're going to be like pulling it for the third time and it should be nice and robust, yada, yada, yada. But I was a little on the fence about it. And uh, anyway, so brewed that beer and you know it didn't quite attenuate as far as uh, I thought it was going to. And actually the beer was, I forget what the finishing gravity was, but it was at like 3.8% ABV. We were shooting for like four two right not a, not a huge difference but the beer had and it was um like i said you know style bitter and it had a little too much sweetness and i hadn't yet dry hopped it this was around like maybe two days before little beer last year and dan from one robot was here and we tried the beer together and he's like yeah I see what you mean it's good but it's like definitely a little on the sweet side i was like yeah i think what i'm gonna do is drop the hops in there and rouse the yeast and see if i can get a little more action out of this well i did I'd already ordered the fucking labels. So the 3.8% ABV labels, they're headed my way. Um, So I roused the yeast and then over like three days it took off and it ended up being like 4.5%. And so I'm like, fuck. And you know, uh, the beer was, it was still fine. The only thing is like now it was like too thin, you know, it was like, damn, this, it wasn't a, a huge dry hop. It was like, um, 11 pound bag into 20 barrel, uh, 20 barrel tank of Brambling cross. Um, but it was just like out of balance. I was like, fuck. And I was so embarrassed because, you know, it was a collab with uh, Del SN and, and Wooden Roy, uh, Robot. And so we still canned it up and we put it on draft and it was good. It just was not great. And so, like, you know, it's one of those things like collaborations are, you know, they're great and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you got to trust your gut. And I knew I should use ESPs. <laughs> and the next time I brew that beer, I already told those guys that I'm definitely using ESPs. Um, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it's funny because now instead of doing like, Hey, let's do a fruity sour, or a big stout or a hazy IPA, which of course we do, um, people are reaching out about doing lagers and, uh, English beer, which is awesome. I love seeing that kind of trend. Um, what was the original question? And I you know can, you and know? you can
0: make it cool. You actually did talk about, we're talking about fermentation, um, oh, fermentation. Um, you Yeah, yeah. kind of, yeah, ale, ale fermentation approach. And then we can talk a little bit about yeah. lager fermentation.
1: Yeah. Oh, so, um, you know, with our house lagers, I try to reuse our yeast as much as I possibly can. And what I like to, uh, the yeast that i found to be the most neutral uh, and most robust lager strain is um, Ianger's Bach yeast. Um, I use it for, you know, 60, 70% of our uh, our lagers in-house. Um, if I'm, and I ferment that at 52 degrees. What I like to do <laughs> is I'll knock out around 52 to 55 degrees and then just move it to 52. If it's at 55, I'll move it to 52 the following day. So I don't get super cold. Um, every now and then I'll, I'll uh, firm it around 50, but typically I'm right at like 51 to 52 and a half degrees and try to knock out, like I said, 52 to 55. Um, and after the first you know, 24 hours, if it was at 55, I'll knock it down lower. I was recently talking to a brewery and they were asking some advice about like vloggers. Um, they've been doing it for a while. They're like, yeah, we knock out 65. And then three days later, we move it down to 50s. I'm like, what the fuck? I was like, that is not the way your beer is basically <laughs> done at that point. But you know, it comes from experience and not to poke fun at people. But, um, like I said, you know, I was reaching out to a lot of folks about that same shit. Um, but I do like to use, um, different lager strains. Like right now, we have, I think, eight lagers on, and you know, three or three or four of those have um, Bach yeast, and then I've also got you know, 3470, which everyone loves. Um, I find that it used to be kind of expressive, you know, so it has like a fingerprint, you know, you, you know, sure. you can taste 3470 and I like it, but it's just, it's not, that's why I like Bockies because I rather taste what's going on with the character of the beer, um, as a whole, but anyway, 3470. And we also just use a Southern Bavarian, um, uh, lager strain. So I like to pull in different, uh, yeast strains. What, what I'll do is we have a bunch of uh, yeast springs is I'll build like a one barrel starter and split it into, um, a couple of these. And then you know grow it up over two days and then go in um but also with uh, uh fermentation with lager beers we like to put on the spunning valve like i said you know usually a couple like a plato and a half to two plato above uh, where terminal is so i don't want to put it on or tighten it too much um and stress the yeast out uh too early so i you know sometimes i'll miss my little window and if i do miss the window i'll then just um you know croise in the beer so we like uh, having some natural carbonation, whether it's from a plumbing sure. valve or coexisting process. But yeah,
0: that makes it, sense. going to be challenging, though, using multiple lager strains like that. Uh, you know, especially with a small brewery trying to brew these things. I mean, uh, figuring out how each of those yeasts works to you know optimally, uh, you know, yeah. is always that kind of challenge. So you have to what go back to. Uh, some core of yeast that you're more familiar with, right?
1: Well, that's why I use Bach yeast for the most yeah. part because I know what to expect out of that. And I think 3470, too. I mean, you, you know, I always keep, you know, dry bricks around in case we're in a, in a, in a pinch or whatever. But there, there have been a handful of yeasts that I've, I've used and I've not loved. Like yeah. um, we just used a Southern Bavarian strain I mentioned earlier. And, uh, you know, it has like in the aroma a tiny bit of like bubble gum and we've like i said we fermented around you know 51 degrees or so and uh yeah flavor wise it's great but the aroma i just don't i'm not in love with it and then we used um i think it was s189 and man i did not love that yeast at all and i'll probably not use that again um so yeah it's a little bit of trial and error for sure but i mean you know at the end of the day we want everything to be very representative of you know all the beers we put out but sometimes if you're doing a one-off beer and you might not brew it again you don't have a chance to like really nail it the next time um it's like some of these collabs you know uh i want to rebrew them just to like really knock it out of the park because the first time i'm like okay it was good it wasn't great we got to get there um there was a lager beer that we made uh, a few months back and I, I feel that i can't wait to get back to it i'm like i'll fucking kill it this next time <laughs>
0: It's, it's the nature of lager brewing. The first one is never the perfect one. And, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, that's the case of most beers that um, almost every beer improves the more times that you brew it. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, so you're fermenting in, in cylinder conicals, I assume, uh, yeah. not not horizontal lagering takes. Um, how do you get the right character, uh, you know, from these beers that you want using that kind of, uh, you know. Uh, more conventional fermentation setup
1: um you know we lager for a long time and so one thing that i like to do actually with most of our lagers is i'll go a little above the um you know the standard uh be used for the style this type Mm. of beer right so i'm like i want to go a little more bitter and i know some people don't follow the logic of like bittering they're just like i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do and they throw hops in but i do still you know i'll calculate it and, uh, in beer Smith, I actually still use it from my homebrew days. Um, so I like to go a little more on that because I, you know, just in case we're going to lager a little longer and the hop character fades, you know, I want to make sure that I've kind of, uh, hedged my bed a little bit. And, uh, so if you, and it's not a lager, but our culture, we ferment really cold too, but our culture is on the uh, more bitter side too, but I appreciate it. You know, I, I like that in a beer. Like I said, I feel like it lasts a little bit longer. Same thing with our, um, our, uh, Martin. it's a little more bitter. And I was trying a lager brewery recently. I was in uh, Vermont, and they make you know world class lagers. And I'm like, oh, they're kind of like, you know, not that we're like as good as they are, but they they have very they're on the bitter side of lager brewing. But um, but with the uh, with the loggers as far as um, fermentation and, and lagering, we lager for six to eight weeks. You know, we have bright tanks that we lager in. We're actually um, hopefully going to do an expansion in the next year or so where we're planning on adding three more uh, 20 barrel FVs back there and four 20 barrel, um, horizontals, uh, which will help us, um, you know, manage that production a little bit, uh, better, but, but yeah, as far as getting the right profile, again, to your point, it's like, you know, using the appropriate yeast and trying to follow, um, you know, style guidelines that's your goal and, uh, logging the beer until it's ready. We actually just made a beer with, um, Ron Pattinson and Stan This is this 1939 Donker beer uh, from Heineken that Ron found. <laughs> and uh, it's a, uh, it's an interesting beer. Like it has like a tiny bit of like um, craffa three and it called for caramel. Um, and most, you know, modern caramel has like, you know, um, some animal fats in there, butter, yeah. cream, whatever. And so like, I'm not putting that in the beer. So I had my pastry chef, you know, makes this little caramel uh, that we use for it. But it's funny, we we're talking on the recipe. I was like, "Well, Stan, what do you want to do with the hops?" And so Ron chimes in. He's like, "Well, if we could just leave the beer as it is, I want to taste it as close to this as possible." But um, I, you know, followed his little recipe as, as best I could. It was like literally homebrewing with a lot of uh, pressure. <laughs> it's like, all right, I'm going to nail this for Mister Pattinson. But but um, anyway, we're doing uh, a release for that beer. He's going to do a Talk on historic um, British styles While they're here when we release the beer But it'll have lager for 12 weeks when he gets here And it's tasting tasting pretty good um, For sure
0: Let's talk a little bit about ale fermentation. You know, you you mentioned yeah. that uh, you know, especially on the English side. Um, you know, how does that side of fermentation on these small beers differ from uh, from your lager fermentation? Obviously, it's different. But uh, are sure, there yeah, yeast? Yeah. Are, are there yeasts that you find you're drawn to that you use? You know, commonly, and are there some tips or tricks to use to uh, to get some better expression out of those?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, for for all of our beers, we try to be on the cooler side for sure um and for those uh, you know our core english beers we're knocking out usually around like 62 and we'll set the jacket to like 63 and a half, 64 mm. and we keep it there for two or three days um and then we'll move it up just really slowly over i'll usually try to chase it a little bit like you know degree degree and a half over like you know three or four days um those beers are usually pretty much done um and like five days or so. Um, and the reason we don't, um, spun those beers is because we have a huge cast program between, uh, here and, um, and uh brick store. So we have in our possession, I think 30 pins and like eight firkins. So, you know, you can't like spun the beer and then fill these firkins. So, uh, <laughs> we're filling those a lot and which is great. I love that people are cashing on with cask beer and, and it's becoming uh, popular. Um, but yeah, that's a big part of what we do. Um, yeah, it's Phil and Perkins. Yeah, as far as as far as I go, I, I think that some people trust their English use maybe a little too much. I'd say like run VDKs and make sure you have a really good taster. Um you know, to make sure there's no diaspora there.
0: For a, for a long time in your history, you've just been selling beer over the bar, obviously. You know, the pandemic hit, you guys had to move a lot more into cans. How did yeah. how did that kind of shift, knowing that more and more of your beer is going to be consumed via package, like, did that impact the way that you designed beers or the way that you kind of, you know, pushed recipes in any, in any kind of way?
1: Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, the pandemic was obviously crazy for the whole world we first closed and turned it to a soup kitchen for like, um, two or three weeks. And, uh, just cause we didn't know what was going to happen. We had just changed our menu. So we had, you know, all this new food and we're like, we don't want this food to go to waste. And so we, you know, my partner uh, started making uh, soups for people and was were basically a soup kitchen for uh, several weeks. Well, what's crazy though. is was like stopping the soup kitchen because it wasn't like we're seeing hundreds and hundreds of people. We would probably see, you know, 30 to 50 people a day. We do it from, you know, I don't know, 10 until five, but like seeing the people who were in need, it wasn't like it's all these people who just automatically became like hungry or, you know, desolate or whatever. It was people who were within you know, two, three miles from us who were like already hungry. And I'm like, Holy shit. How do we, how are we going to now stop doing this? Which is crazy. Um, so anyway, uh, with the can about or with question about the canning, we actually didn't have a canning line until well into the pandemic, and we have one of those little wild goose goslings. So it's like the single head uh, can filler, and uh, up until, um, up until we got that, actually, I was just me in the brewery, and we have you know Clay, who I mentioned earlier, my assistant brewer, was hired as a host. He started serving and then bartending, and then I had to train him. I like, I can't can this beer alone. But it's a very slow canner, uh, so we can do like 10 to 12 um, cases an hour. But uh, I'll be honest with you, canning and packaging in general is a pain in the ass. Um, it's hard. You know, it's a whole other thing to know and learn. And before we had the canner, we were just doing the crowlers, and we would try to crawler up like, you know, 10, 12 cases a day, right? So we went <laughs> 10, to 12 cases a day to like 10 cases an hour. So it was like a huge evolution as far as what we could package. package. So it was amazing. But, um, you know, I remember putting beer into can. We're, we're taking the CO2 reading on the ZOM and then we're losing CO2 somehow. I'm like, I don't know how to fucking do this. This is, you know, another new thing for me. Again, dipping my uh, toe into the water, not knowing what it, what it is. So I would say in the beginning, man, you know, we probably put beer in cans that wasn't emblematic of what we have in the restaurant and uh, it's funny because it made me think of when i first started brewing when our brewer left i'm like this is not emblematic of where we're going to be but luckily people were patient enough with us to kind of follow along with the ride uh to see where we're going and i think we've gotten much better with canning you know um it's, it's one of those things where i'm constantly having you know someone else hey can you come and take your Orbisphere and check the the DOO on this This can, this bright tank. Um, can you check these seams? Can you show me how to check seams? Can, so it's been just a constant, like, um, you know, learning on the fly and, uh, it's been great, but it's definitely not been easy. Um, but I feel like our practices from top to bottom have just gotten better and better. Um, and I'm I'm definitely proud of what me and my (laughs) cohort back there uh, are doing for sure. Um, yeah, we can a lot more beer and I feel like. You know, it's funny because, you know, again, I, I told you earlier, we're, we're outside the perimeter, right? So we're 45 minutes away from the city, right? So if you're just a beer uh, traveler, you're, you're, to come out here is one thing, you know. Um, so being able to get a can of our beer, uh, it needs to be in the best shape and canned the best way possible because it's going to be your only experience with us unless you're making the, the trek out here. And I feel like we finally got to that point over the last mm, six or so months, maybe. But I feel like we're always like qualifying ourselves, like no, no, we make good beer. Like, look at this, what we did. Look at that, you know. So we're always like, you know, fighting that whole um, cool thing, I guess. We're not, really, <laughs> we're not a super cool brewery, uh, and we're in the burbs, so there's that.
0: You know, it's the rise of the anti-cool. You know, by not yeah. being by not being cool, it's cool again. Um,
1: cool doesn't last.
0: You yes. know, it doesn't have to be. The, the sleekest, sexiest, hottest, new, uh, hazy IPA to be interesting to people these days. And it's nice to see that there's a market for that out there. As as we zoom out, um, what's the big picture look like for Good Word? What, uh, what do you hope to achieve with Good Word? And uh, what does success look like for you?
1: I mean, you know, I'm already pretty happy. Um, I'll be honest with you. Like, I feel successful. With that being said, it's one of those things where I'm never quite satisfied with where we're at. That's not from like a financial standpoint. Like from where I was at Brickstore uh and what I was making to here, big step down. And you know, at the end of the day, everyone wants to make money, but I I'm probably one of the rare people that I don't know, maybe that's not rare, but I'm not in it for the money. Like I'm in it to make the best fucking beer I can make. And you know, be around people that I admire and uh look up to has made me feel successful. Um, already. But yeah, I do hope that we can, you know, get a small expansion going on back there, which would take us from 589 barrels in 2022 to, you know, somewhere around 2,000 barrels uh, over the next couple of years. Um, and then have a bigger canning line, of course, to facilitate all that beer. But yeah, success for me doesn't turn good word into a beer uh, place Beer beers going all over the place. You know, I just want to like, I want to keep doing what we're doing, you know? So Yeah, I feel feel great. Um, Like you mentioned, we got uh, a little beer uh, coming up the second year, April 9th, Um, and we've got so many. The first year was amazing, and the people who came were great. This year, the list is insane. Like I'm just honored that most of these uh, brewers are not only sending beer, but they're coming, so it's pretty incredible.
0: There's, it's been over the last few years, it's been interesting and fun for me to watch you deliberately, intentionally build these connections and do it in a way that's a little different than the way that, you know, some other breweries do it. Um, you know, like I, I said before, there's that learning aspect to it where you're asking for help, but you're also yeah. offering a perspective too. Um, but you just have, doggedly made these connections you know across the country now even around the world um, and by building those connections but also building something cool around small beers um, you know it's been impactful and obviously our critics the folks that are writing for us are seeing it and uh, our judges see it in a blind way and all that is is really kind of fascinating so congrats to you todd it's uh, it's been really cool to watch how that whole thing has built and that sounds like a good place to wrap up. GD chillers use a fraction of the refrigerant over traditional chillers. Brew dry lagers with Fermentus Soft Brew LD20 available from BSG. Trust the logistics pros of Old Orchard to get your ingredients on time. Get detailed insight into your fermentations with Brew Monitor risk free. SS Brutex Advances to work in your brew house and forget measuring. Try easy to use PBW tablets from Five Star Chemicals. If you enjoy this podcast each week, we would love your support. Go to beerandbrewing.com. Click on the subscribe button, support what we do, and uh, check out great content from all of the fantastic brewers that uh, that we cover here on the podcast. You can read those reviews of those Good Word beers. You can watch classes with Roe from Blue Jacket. All of these other kinds of things that we pull out there through a whole bunch of different media channels for you. Um, it's by pulling all of these things together from podcast, magazine, video, and whatnot that makes our little self-owned independent media business work. And we appreciate your support on that. Um, Todd, if people want to learn more about Good Word, want to taste your beer, you know, want to, want to, to, to learn more about what you do or where you do it, uh, where do they find you guys?
1: Uh, you'll probably have to come to the source uh, here in Duluth, Georgia, or follow us at, uh, at Good Word Brewing. Um, yeah. Or find me at a, uh, you know, some kind of festival. We do a lot of, a lot of those.
0: Cool. Cool. Well, I appreciate you talking with me on the podcast. Stay healthy. Stay safe. You know, I, we've seen COVID running through places like left and right, closing breweries down, not because you know, for any other reason than staff are sick and you just don't have people to run it. Um, I'm heading off to Belgium in about 10 days and I am on crazy personal lockdown just to not get sick and <laughs> be able to get on a plane and go over there. Um, excited to be able to go record a whole bunch of podcasts in Belgium um, you know, in a few weeks from now. So, some fun stuff coming up in the future here on the podcast. Todd, thanks for joining me. It's been great to talk to you and, uh, yeah, keep sending me that beer because I love drinking it.
1: Cheers. It's an honor. Thank you.
0: This podcast is brought to you by craft beer and brewing magazine. For those that love to make and drink great beer, learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craft beer brew.